Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Almost live from the trenches of New York City, here are your middle-aged warriors, Chris Cimino and Rick Summers. Well, welcome back to Middle Age Warriors. Uh, this is show number 43. The hits keep coming around here. I am Chris Cimino, and I'm you Rick are? Summers. Hello. And we have a special guest who's double dipping. He's coming back. <laughs> yes, uh, second appearance here. Our special guest today is Dr. Brian McDonough. He appeared on our show uh, back in early December, actually. And at that point, that was just sort of the onset of vaccines becoming available and or talk of vaccines becoming available. Uh, a little quick background, Dr. McDonough is a clinical professor of family medicine and community health at Temple University School of Medicine in Philadelphia. Also can be heard very often with his updates and very timely and uh, vital reports on 1010 Winds Radio in New York and KYW in Philadelphia as well. Dr. Brian, thanks once again for carving out a little time. I know you're a busy man, obviously, in this, this day and age uh, for the middle-aged warriors to kind of Give us an update. How are you doing, first of all? I'm doing well. Um, since we've talked last, I've been vaccinated. I, I will going through the experience and uh, trying to relate it to different people who are going through it, it, it. You're almost, I was almost not frightened of the vaccine, but afraid, what if they don't have it? You know, mm. what if they don't have my second dose at the right time. And right. I think a lot of people, as they go down through the list of high risk and do that, it's, um, it's something where they get a little bit nervous about that. So having had that done, I have no false sense of total security, but at least I know there's that layer of protection there, which mm -hmm. in the beginning obviously was, was not. Well, Dr. McDonough, that's a question, I guess, that I would like to put to you uh, because people want to know when they get the vaccine and eventually everybody will, we hope, um, does that give you a leg up? I mean, what can you expect? Uh, can you still carry the disease? Are you still susceptible? A lot of good questions there. So here's the deal. Um, my first thing is, I believe and I strongly believe you have to do what we're in the studies. So when I see, for instance, the UK saying you can have one dose, but we're going to get as many people with the first dose and not do the second of, let's say, Pfizer. I go, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. given partial protection, but you're not given the whole deal to people. Right. Certainly partial is better than nothing, but if you had the opportunity to go from 55% to 95%, why wouldn't you uh, just get your vaccine out, get it supplied and, and do it? So that's the first thing. The second thing is, here's the way I take it. I think coronavirus, COVID is very smart. It's a very, very quick virus that mutates. That's how viruses live. They, they mutate, they change, and they grow. And those that can't survive die and those that do adapt and it's always adapting. That's why you're seeing this Brazilian strain, this Africa strain, this UK strain, and probably four or five that we may not even have identified that are out there. It's mutating, it's changing. And it can change in one person over time. There's a report of an individual, uh, Brigham and Women's reported, who was immune compromised, had been in the hospital for several months. And the virus actually had changed its genetic appearance in one person. That's how- wow. Do it. So, wow. So this thing really, but I mean, typically viruses do, will do this. I, I guess some are uh, a little more active in that type of behavior, if you will, than others. And unfortunately, it looks like this one is one that continues to sort of mutate a bit. Is that true? Yes. And that's what I'm kind of getting to with the vaccine. So here's the deal with the vaccine. If you think about the flu, we get a different vaccine every year. 
Mm. And the vaccine is usually, they actually look at three types of flu. They do their best guesses. Some years they're better than others, but right. think about it. You get the vaccine, and if you get the vaccine, you might get the flu. Right. You might even spread it to other people, but you don't get as sick as if you never had the vaccine. Okay, right. That's what happens. That's what I see happening with the COVID vaccine. Right now, when they say, you know, the Pfizer and Moderna are 95 and 94% effective, the Johnson and Johnson is 55 to 65%. Effective. Mm -hmm. Here's what you get. You first of all, get the knowledge that if you get the virus, you are far less likely to get very sick. So when I got it at my age, I said, you know what, I'm obviously always at risk. But if I got it, there was that fear. What if I am the one who ends up in the ICU ventilator? Mm -hmm. And you just don't know. And that's what made it obviously very frightening for all of us dealing day after day. I don't have any greater sense of security, but I know that if I get it, it's probably going to be more like if I was 30 years old. Could I have it really bad? Yes. But you really help. Right. Ah, it's dramatic. So the right. first thing you get with the vaccine is protection. You probably won't get really sick. Your, to your second question, Rick, is you will theoretically... 95% protected, just pat, not even, it'll bounce off you and never even get in your system. But in that 5%, it does. That's the 5% where you might not even get sick because you had the vaccine, but you mm -hmm. can spread it. Right. So my wife was asking me, well, once we're devaccinated, why are we continuing to wear masks? And I said, more for everybody else. Mm. Like you're wearing it so you don't spread the virus to everybody else. And I think from the very beginning, that was one message a lot of people didn't get. They thought you're wearing a mask to protect yourself, but you're you're doing it even more to protect everybody else, not just mm -hmm. yourself. Which is a hard concept for some people to digest because sure, it's all sure. about me. Uh, but I wanted to ask you because I saw something this morning that's the CDC is now saying two masks better than one, which is something we used to say. Never did. mind. <laughs> Sorry. That was a no. That was, that was a, a college thing. Sorry. Two bagger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Continue. But uh, your take on two masks are better than one. Yeah, I think there's, uh, in fact, I just did a, a podcast about it and, and did something on YouTube because I was trying to explain, I show people masks and said, here's the deal. What you get with the uh, virus is it looks for any opening. So you want to make the secure enough protection between your nose and your, and your, um, and your, your chin as you can. I don't have a mask here, but I feel like mm -hmm. But basically, you want to cover that area. And what you can do with a second mask is decrease the chances of something getting in even more because it's like a Swiss cheese thing. Mm -hmm. you know, some Swiss cheese and somebody's shooting something through. It goes right through the holes of the Swiss cheese. But if another piece of Swiss cheese less gets through because you kind of didn't have even holes, that's kind of the two masks thing. Now, the thing right. about the masks, which was important, which is why I was reaching for one, which I don't have here at this desk, is... If you're going to do that, there's two big rules. First of all, if you can get a surgical mask, you know, the, the, the ones you see green or whatever, those that are tight that have the wire, you take it tight there, you wear it there, and then put your second mask, which could be like some sort of a cloth thing. You take a cloth mask over it. Right. The real tight one has to be the bottom one. So if you have an N95, you know, the ones that are the real secure ones we wear in the ICU and stuff, that would be the one that's underneath. With mm -hmm. another mask over it. So your tightest mask should be the one closest to your skin. So for most people, it'll be that surgical mask if they can get it and then covering it with another. But you're just decreasing the chances. I'm telling you, if everybody just did one mask, mm -hmm. I'd be thrilled. 
but they are saying it's it's something they can reduce it by like 95.4% or something with the second. With the second, right. So if you're going to be, I don't know, let's say you're, well, they want you to wear a flight on a mask, uh, wear a mask in a flight, but if you're going to get a flight, I would wear two masks on it for a long period of time. I'd wear two masks through an airport. I would wear two masks if I was on a train. Maybe you wear one mask uh, when you're walking into a building or something. Mm -hmm. Play your percentages. Right. The more people you're around. To go back to a point we touched upon earlier, and just from what you are seeing so far, because this is one of the first concerns with the vaccine that requires that second follow-up shot. Are you seeing a good response on returns for people coming for that second shot? Are you finding uh, some people, they kind of took the first one and then they disappeared? What's it look like so far from your perspective? We're seeing excellent return. In fact, that was my fear. I I remember talking about it saying, you know, they're going to get a fever or chills and say, I'm not going back. Right. I think the people who are getting the vaccines understand and want it. In fact, we're in a situation, some different states, different facilities have said, we can't guarantee you the second. You know, I, I, the health system where I work, we're, we're saying, you know, you, you get in once, you are going to get your second. So we are, in a sense, you get a certain, in healthcare facilities, you know, hospital systems, you get a certain number of vaccines. We're not, we're not always promised what, we're promised a certain amount, so we don't go beyond that. We know we got to make sure we can deliver that second vaccine, or or we don't do it, and that's mm-hmm. that's really important because you don't want the person not to get their second shot. Now, some places are doing that, and then people are panicking. Where am I going to get my second? And and that's right. a concern. Well, let me ask you this also from the distribution standpoint, and not to get super po- political, but you're on the inside of this. We're just kind of on the outside looking in. Do you think this should be a program that's controlled more by, in terms of the distribution, by the federal government? Or do you think the states, leaving it up to each state, is okay? Because it seems to be very patchwork and a little haphazard in terms of how this is being distributed. You know, my political answer is all you have to do is <laughs> some states allowed stadiums to have 25,000 sub states to say you have nobody. That philosophy can carry across from state to state. So what you end up having, for better or worse, is many cases politicians are making decisions mm. about something that's scientific. And that's right. always a concern for me. I've been saying from the very beginning, you know, I, I'm not sitting there worrying about pricing of things. I'm just worried about the science of it we should follow. It should be I'm, on a lighter side, I'm curious to know how many people are listening to us on Middle Age Warriors with Dr. Brian McDonough who heard your earlier comments and are now off to the deli to get sliced Swiss cheese to put over their faces. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Maybe we should clarify that one. That's, yeah. uh, but one, one of the other things that, that I've, I'm starting to see, and I'm curious what you're reading into at this point. Look, the fact of the matter is viruses in the ultimate sense, I guess they really never completely go away. So we will be dealing with this years from now, whether it's booster shots every year, somebody chooses to do it or not, but getting it and surviving it by being treated with medication. Now, there's an Israeli study. Uh, I think the drug is Allocetra they're talking about, and, they, and they've had like a 30 out of 30 in terms of people who have come in with moderate to severe uh, case of of the, of the virus and issues, and they've been, you know, quote unquote, cured by something like that. Is, you know, is a medicinal cure or treatment in the pipe down the road? I think the way they're approaching it now is you look and find out, first, is there certain things we learn? 
we learned the role of steroids or desivir, you know, the different things we've talked about. Certain things have had an impact against the virus, some of the antiviral agents. The things about viruses that have always made it tough is it's like the common cold. You know, they say, you know, you'll put a man in the years ago, you put a man on the moon before you right. cure for the common cold. <laughs> Uh, right. You could probably put a man on Mars before you cure the COVID cold or a woman on Mars. But the reality is that viruses will always change and mutate. So what you do is you do what you can to keep it at bay. At bay. So the prevention mm-hmm. is the key part. That's why we talk about the mask, social distance. Then it's, it's going to the next step, which is very helpful, which is a vaccine, which gets larger protection. Then the final thing you're looking at is what types of treatments can we use? And even with our best treatments, I think what we're doing, it's, it's more like trying to reduce the systems of the body. I'm, I'll tell you, when they get the real, the real treatment for this, it's going to be something that decreases the inflammation, mm-hmm. what we call cytokine storm, the, the, uh, the attack the body wages on itself. Because the people who do very poorly, their, their, their immune system gets super revved up and starts attacking itself. I mean, to the point where Within four days, the lungs are shot. That mm-hmm. kind of a thing, we have to slow that down. And that will be where your best treatments come in. And they're looking at that. It's just that um, this is, we're looking at uh, science real time. I mean, when I treat heart disease, it's based on things we've learned over 50, 60 years, meds. This, it was always tried out over time, you know, problems. This is, and the general public, we're watching it every day. We're learning right. real time. The, the way I treated someone, last April is so different than the way we're treating now. You know, I, from a perfectly selfish standpoint, and I'm not sure you know this about me, uh, but hearing you describe the revved up immune system, I've been dealing for the last quarter century with multiple sclerosis. And it sounds to me that there are some similarities between MS with a revved up immune system and, and T cells and whatnot and COVID. And I'm just curious to hear your thought on that. I think you're right on target. Um, I mean, there was a study about, uh, you know, the closest on a personal level that we've had someone die was, was my goddaughter's husband early on died in his early fifties. And I mm-hmm. you know, was running five miles a day. He mm-hmm. you know, living life fully great condition, you know, didn't have any other really health issues except 25 years before he had overcome a form of Hodgkin's. So he had had cancer treatments and stuff. So I've been following the whole cancer connection. Your thoughts exactly like what's going on because of the immune system and what's going on. Sure enough, cancer survivors, and I'm talking about people who have beaten it years ago, still are at the high risk for this mm. because there's something in their body that has turned on something. And right. I'm saying like, and that's why I think it's so important. Something like MS or things where you have a pre-existing condition we got to get vaccines to those people first. Now, sure, there's going to be somebody who is fine and we don't know why it happened, but sure enough, there's probably something underlying. It just hadn't revealed itself yet. Like it would, mm, right. someone, we know there's a problem. So I do believe there's an, there's an autoimmune and, and as you say, T cell and immune system response has an impact. Well, it's like I always say about MS and that is one size does not fit all. Just because you have MS doesn't mean your MS is the same as my MS. Your right. COVID's not the same as mine. Right. Yeah. I mean, everybody's immune system obviously is set up differently based on the history of their life to this point and their current condition, I would guess. We talked about it a little bit before, and I and this is one of the things that gets a little misleading with percentages of effectiveness. Now, I'm not sure which 
particular vaccine that more recently came out, and they kind of the number came out as being less effective in terms of, in other words, the percentage of people who could get the virus, but yet the number in terms of the people who did get it, keeping them on the low end of the of the impact of the virus, meaning they didn't need hospitalization, nobody died, that percentage was just as high as all of the other vaccines. So I think some people go, oh, that one has 98% and, and that one only has 72%. <laughs> but the reality is if all of them are in the high 90s in terms of even if you get it, keeping you out of a condition that would put you in a hospital or worse. So how do we translate those numbers to people that they're comfortable taking any particular vaccine, or should they look at those numbers? You tell me. Yeah, the vaccine you're talking about is the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. When it yes. Came out. And I remember when it first came out, I was asked, you know, you're asked right away, what do you think? And I said, I would take the first available vaccine. Whatever mm -hmm. the, I don't care if it's Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, they're all proven safe, take it. Because what I'm getting out of it is exactly what you're talking. Let's make sure you're not hospitalized in the ICU or die. That's what is the big picture here. Now, whether or not, and it's not something to, you know, poke fun at, but whether or not you lose your sense of smell for a while, or you have joint pain or this, that, if it's a temporary thing or something, or they can alleviate the long haul things where people are getting it for their entire life or damage to the lungs, that's what we're buying with these. Um, and whether or not you're exposed, I have a feeling um, probably at some level, a lot of us are exposed to different forms of coronavirus in our lives and sure. those exposures don't necessarily hurt you if it doesn't become symptomatic. Where it hurts you is when it becomes symptomatic. So the vaccine's protecting that. So uh, my two things have been whatever vaccine you should take. And the second thing is, and this is really important from an ethical standpoint, because many patients have said, you know, I'm on the list now at 65, let's say, to, or I'm obese to get it. I feel guilty because I believe my wife should get it or someone else. First of all, they set the rules based on statistics, but what you're really looking at is don't feel guilty. When it's your turn, don't say, oh, I want to save it for someone else. No, no, no. There's a reason because you're getting it for yourself, but they also know that you may be more likely to spread it to others and they want to prevent that too. And that's mm -hmm. Right. So it's not, it's not a selfish thing. You're actually no. uh, helping other people by far by getting it yourself as well. Now, as a meteorologist, I was never a great believer in long-range predictions or long-range forecasts, but so I'm not going to hold your feet to the fire on this one. But you know, in your mind, we heard earlier today, Dr. Fauci talk about he's thinking around April, uh, the doors will be wide open for just about anybody then to begin getting the vaccine. Young people, middle-aged people, you name it. In your head, where is a time frame that you start to see maybe even? the masks come off? Are we looking in 2022, 2023, never? Are we looking at a society that in large gatherings will always be wearing masks? What, what, what do you project in your head? How do you see this playing out? Well, you know, it's funny. I have predicted the basic way the vaccine, I mean, excuse me, basically the virus would act quite effectively. Where, where I've been fooled, and I, I will say I've been fooled, is the endurance and length of time it's taken to get this under control. I think part of it is dependent on, can we really get the general public to continue to wear masks? And I think it's starting to increase, but to really buy into this. And, can, and how tough can we be as we're experiencing fatigue? See, here's the thing. Like people are like, I can't take it anymore. Right. You know, it's been a year, um, this is my life. I haven't seen my grandchild. Everybody's looking at it. You know, my 25 year old is like, you know, I, 
can't even really date anybody because you can't mm-hmm. date anybody. Like they're looking at life saving. So that works against us getting done quicker. Um, I think ultimately what it's going to come down to is buying times to get the vaccine out. My hope is that we will get to the point where we perhaps by end of this summer, you know, can start attending events and things at larger numbers with masks on because enough people have been vaccinated and then start to figure out what kind of severity are we seeing in cases. So I think what you've got to look at is what will happen with hospitalizations and, and ICU and those things. If those numbers continue to be extremely high or if they're like the flu, and again, not minimizing it, but when you look at the flu, it's 36,000 deaths in a year. That's a lot, but that's yeah. all ages, all comers. And it hits young and old alike. And that's where your numbers are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it often hits the very young and the very old. This type of thing seems to hit the old and people who have pre-existing conditions. But if we see that come down to a point where it's tolerable, then I think you take off the masks and, and you do boosters because truth of the matter is for everything we're doing wearing masks, you know, you're losing that social interaction. I, I mean, I walk down the street sometimes and I, somebody walks by and I just kind of smile at them. And then I realized, I can't see, I can't see you. person obnoxiously walk by because we're so used to using our faces and our sure. expressions. Yeah. And, and, you know, or, or you see someone and, you know, now I will tell you, I really notice people's eyes now because you see their eyes. Like the eyes are really where you see the life in a person when they're wearing masks. Yeah. But that's that's kind of what's happening. So to, to predict it, I what I would love to see, it's kind of along Fauci lines, end of the summer to see us at that point and then to go forward. But it all is dependent on, do we continue doing what we're doing? And can we continue to get these vaccines out at, at frankly, what I'd like to see a more accelerated rate that we have. Mm-hmm. Dr. McDonough, when we spoke to you back in- Early December. Yeah, I guess it was in December. Um, You were speaking so favorably about Dr. Anthony Fauci and the role he was trying to play with the prior administration back then. How glad are you to see that he has now stepped back into the good graces uh, without all the criticism yeah, you know, and I think of Dr. Fauci, where I, and again, I, I met him first in the late 80s. I was a young physician just starting television reporting, and you know, we had this new illness called HIV we were, we were dealing with, and it was kind of a similar physician reaction, like we didn't really know early what would spread and how we would get it. We just knew, you know, it, it, could, it could be a killer, and at that time, it was a death sentence in those early years. Mm. He was very involved in, in the battle against that, so I got to know him early on as a scientist. Obviously, how can you not respect the man as a scientist? He's brilliant. But what I saw happen in the last year was the other side. He, first of all, the courage uh, to have your life threatened and to be able to continue knowing your family's threatened, to be able to continue doing what you think is right to help others, combined with the political maneuvers that I'm sure he had to make. At some level, I'm sure he believed that He's more effective in the game than out of the game. So he mm-hmm. put up with whatever he had to put up with. And now to see him able to speak scientifically and, and openly communicate wherever, I think it's one of the most, uh, you know, as a physician, incredibly proud of him. I mean, if there's if there's a Nobel Prize for physicians or whatever mm-hmm. there is, that, that guy should get whatever award there is. Because I think, you know, for the rest of us that are out there 
and trying to do a job, you know, he has the podium and he has the, the ability to say what so many people feel. And I think if you're gonna ask doctors across the country, you know, they would all say he was consistent. You know, was mm-hmm. he always right? No. Was I always right? No. That's medicine. Right. But right. What you want to do is you want to, you, 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 and I think his strength is he admits that he learned something. The way you approach this virus is you go, wait a minute, we, we got to turn on a dime. Something changed. You know, we, if sure. there's lives at stake, you know, you're, you're losing a person every minute now. I mean, that, that's ridiculous. Well, again, and that's when you get, you know, you let your, you take your ego and let it get out of the way of the right thing to do. And, right. you know, he's somebody who certainly has done that. Yeah, you want to be on that side of history. You know, I, I read a lot of old history books and things. And, and I always read these people and go, I wonder if I would have been strong enough, like this person or that mm-hmm. person, to do the right thing. Or what I have just kind of stayed home and you know, did what I did. And and that's where you, you know, when you look at your life, you look at your kids, grandchildren, we're evaluating. You want to be on that side. You want to be- so one last thing I saw uh, on the news uh, last evening, actually, and this is kind of pushing the realm of, you know, you're a, you're a medical doctor, not a necessarily a psychological doctor, but uh, there's something that they're calling it coronaphobia. And, and it's, but, you know, when I started to think about it and, and, I, and I see it, there's like this thing where people say, you know, so-and-so tested positive. It's suddenly like you have, you're wearing a scarlet letter. I, there, there's a very, there, there's a lot of baggage emotional baggage and fear and anxiety that gets attached with just being, you know, testing positive. This is a virus that millions of people have and more are going to get and some don't know it, but so you tested positive. Okay. How do we get people to be calm about that perspective as opposed to freaking out every time they hear somebody testing positive? It's kind of like AIDS in the 80s. Right. But but this isn't really a death sentence for the majority of people by far who get it. Correct. How do we, how do we drill that home at the same time without downplaying the potential severity of it? It's a fine line. How, how do we do that emotionally? There's a way to unpack this question. There's a lot of things. First of all, if you go back to the HIV days, I remember uh, there was a surgeon general at the time of HIV was uh, Dr. C. Everett Koop. Sure. He was most dramatic surgeon general he ever saw. He was, a surgeon, he was actually a surgeon who had, separate the first conjoined twins back in Philadelphia. He had a long medical history. He became surgeon general. And I asked him once in the mid, I got to interview him and I asked him in the mid nineties, you know, why was it that Ronald Reagan never really came out at the time and mm-hmm. talked about HIV and we should do it. He said, I spoke to him three different times and three different times. He totally agreed with me and was going to come out and talk about it. And he said, his handlers got to him the next day and said, that's not politically astute. So you have politicians work in a political framework. They might believe one thing, but they do things. Right. So fast forward. Now, here we are. Um, initially, unfortunately, uh, there was a denial, then the acceptance, and then the, the, the ignoring of it. And now we're at a point, I believe, where people now all have to understand we're in this together. And you are correct. Uh, in two seconds, you could have, uh, you could have COVID. You may have had COVID and don't even know you've had COVID. It's, it is that common. And I think we have to be aware of that. Now, I do think if you know someone has COVID, um, that you, you take precautions and you make sure during that eight to 10 day period or whatever, you, mm-hmm. you don't put yourself at risk. And that's different than saying, you know, for the rest of your life, you had COVID. I think, and I think the other thing that's, that's really important about it is there are a lot of people who have gone to a and I'm not going to overly dramatize, it's not PTSD for most, but but mm-hmm. definitely a reaction to it. 
Um, mm -hmm. I was watching, we're taping this now right after the Super Bowl. I was watching the Super Bowl and they had healthcare workers. And I will tell you full disclosure, I was watching the game. And I was more anxious than ever because I thought oh, there's too many people at this game because I'm, I can't stop being a doctor. <laughs> but in that aside, the referee made a comment to one of the, the nurses who was there. Thank you for the work you've done. I can't, America thanks you. And I was getting like teary eyed. I thought, mm -hmm. wait a minute, you are overreacting. Like this is a referee at the Super Bowl talking, but the, the sensitivity and the emotion from having dealt with this for a year, mm -hmm. it's there. And I, you know, and I'm not talking about somebody, I wasn't in an ICU for six weeks or my family member directly wasn't, I was maybe in there treating people, but, but you see how we've all kind of been affected at some level. So this is now a national, in fact, international experience where everybody has a degree of this and mm -hmm. it can range from that to the, you know, I mean, I haven't seen my grandchildren in a year to, well, I, you know, sure. I can't date, whatever you want to do, people are going through all sorts of emotions and you are seeing more anxiety, more depression. Uh, uh, and, and the other part of it, more people who perhaps aren't getting the care they should because they're mm. afraid to see their doctor. That's encouraging. Why don't I ask you, um, are you personally responsible or are you giving people the vaccination? Yes, um, we are. In fact, in my role, um, I do a little, in addition to seeing patients, it's called informatics. It's kind of like using computer systems. to. So, in my area, I'm one of the people involved with how are we going to get people registered in, get their second doses, those mm -hmm. things. I will tell you, and we have our own vaccination clinics and things, I have never seen so many people so happy as when they get the vaccine. It is a, hmm. it's one of the most pleasurable things you can do. You can just see the relief in, in people when they get it. I mean, they have the concerns, well, am I going to get a fever? You know, those things, but it's just that oh my gosh, I got the vaccine. It's it's almost as if they know there's a new lease on life coming. And I think that's the important thing. So in our final minute here together, the takeaway, if, you know, I, I give you the, the podium for this last 60 seconds or so, but the takeaway that you want people to know and understand uh, moving forward with the vaccine, with the virus, what do you want to tell people out there? I equate it, not that I've ever run a marathon or completed, but I'll equate it as if yeah. I could. <laughs> I know. Mile and you've got a couple miles to go. And now is the most painful time. Mm, the yeah. Hardest time because you feel like you've been going at it forever. But the reward is so close at the end. This is when you can't give up. This is when you have to push through. Keep wearing the masks. Keep social distancing. You know, tell your kids, no, no, no. You be tough. Right. Hang in there. You know, all the things you have to do because we are getting vaccinated. We're getting there. If you have an opportunity for the vaccine, please get it. Uh, you know, I've I've gotten it personally. I have when my family, some members have been able to, others can't. But when they can, I've all said take your turn. I don't doubt the fact that it will help you and, and it can save your life. And, and also, it's kind of a selfless way to help others as well. So I think that's where we are. We're getting there. This will not be forever. Yeah, we might be getting booster shots for a long time, but. Most people, it'll be like when they talk of polio or the measles or things like right. that. Get past. Mm -hmm. 
Stay the course, basically, bottom line. So finally, real quick, I want to ask, where can people get your latest podcast and information? You know, because you cause you're really, you know, you're you're pretty succinct. I, I love watching them because they don't take up a lot of my time and I learn something when I, when I walk away. So where can people find out, uh, you know, your latest podcast and information you put out to the public? I was very creative. I created a channel called the Dr. Brian McDonough channel. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Um, on the on the podcast that you can hear you know all the time which is not video just audio is called coronavirus today i got that early coronavirus today mm -hmm. that's more like twice a week in fact i've gone back to more like twice a week because some of this is repetitious but the thing about the dr brian mcdonough channel or coronavirus Day, you can go back and kind of select what you want i think we've done oh my gosh like 225 videos and 300 audios because it it's just being done. And the big thing that I want to stress is I, I've been asked, I said, no, I have not accepted a sponsor for any of it because mm -hmm. it's just got to be pure science. So it's apolitical. There's no uh, bias. And, you know, and I, I kind of said, I'll do it until this is over, which may not have been one of my smartest moves, but <laughs> get the information out there. I look forward to the day when you're hosting a show called Coronavirus Yesterday. Yeah. That Dr. McDonough. Really, uh, and I, this, believe me, uh, isn't a well-intentioned pun, but you are a great shot in the arm. So, oh, I see what you did there. Very thank nice. You, thank see? you. Look at that. <laughs> I, I was up all night trying to think of that. Coming up with that one. But uh, really, um, you are uh, such a, a positive force, and your patients are lucky to have you uh, caring for them. And we are just so appreciative of time and thought that you put into spending a little time with us. Yep, thanks again for being a part of Middle Age Warriors. Thanks for being a friend. We've known each other for many, yeah. many years and I'm glad we could reconnect. Unfortunately, I'd like to reconnect over better things next time. To you and your family, stay well, Godspeed, be good. And uh, you know, we'll catch you next time. I'm sure we may need to discuss a little bit more as we go down this road. Always glad to do it. The best to both of you too. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Take care. Wow. I mean, how great is he? Well, first of all, uh, you know, this is a guy that's very busy, obviously, in, yeah. in this time. And he takes some time out for us, which I really, really appreciate very much. But what I love about Brian, again, is, is just how succinct he is and calming. There's something about the delivery of the information from him that makes you feel like it's going to be okay. okay. We're all going to get through this. Just hang in there, gang. There's not. I don't have anxiety when I hear him talk about things. Yeah, no, I, yeah, and I told you the last time we spoke with him in December uh, that I've listened to Brian for years yeah. on 1010 Wins here in New York, mm -hmm. and I've always had that impression of him. And to get to know him through our show now, uh, what a gift. And what a nice shot in the arm. Yeah. Sorry. No, but it is, and it is very timely because, you know, this is a thing now where more and more people are confronted with the question, do I vaccinate or not? As more and more vaccines become available and it opens up to a larger uh, portion of the population. So it's important to hear what, you know, what Brian is thinking and what he has seen so far. And I think we just pretty much have to stay the course and ride this a little bit further and, and we're going to get there. You know, it's interesting hearing him talk about his daughter, who I believe is like in her. This is 25. Yeah. yeah. 25, yeah. And, and talking about dating mm -hmm. and, you know, what am I going to do? How am I ever going to meet? And now just going through Valentine's and I was thinking, what a crappy time to, to be dealing with this. Cause a year ago we weren't, 
Mm. We, well, we were, but we didn't know we were dealing with it. Yeah, I mean, you know, well, to me, I the Valentine's Day thing, I have one stand, I think, and you have another. I know you and Valerie, and especially with Valerie, like, she's a big Valentine's Day person. <laughs> I kind of feel like it was a Hallmark made-up kind of a, 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 you know, celebration. It's nice, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to, I'm not saying I'm not a romantic at heart, but... This is the Valentine's Day weekend, and uh, the good news, I guess, is New York City restaurants are opening up beginning Friday yeah, for indoor yeah. dining. So that's nice, finally, to hear some good news there. Yeah, it's uh, it's a long time overdue. I mean, sporting events are going to start to open, t- yes. uh, according to C- Governor Cuomo. Yes, yeah, so at the end of the month, uh, yeah. they're, I guess the Knicks, the Rangers, they're going to allow, I think, what they say, two, 3,000 into Madison Square Garden? Yeah, I think it's 10% of your capacity. Yeah. The Mets are looking at 10 to 15% possibly for opening day. That's not until April, obviously. But a lot, I guess... A lot you know, could change between now and then. Too. Yeah, I mean, there are probably some teams that would only get about 10% yeah, of really. anyway. Yeah. Uh, or maybe that's even more than usual. No, that's not nice. But it's <laughs> nice to see these little steps as we uh, are you know, moving forward to getting back a little bit of what was really robbed of us for almost the the last year. So yeah. on Valentine's Day, by the way, are you doing anything? Uh, it's going to be kind of low-key, which mm-hmm. is fine. I think we'll probably go out to dinner, uh, which will be good. Um, but now, you, You've got some Valentine's... Before we wrap it up, because oh, yeah. I'm curious... I have Valentine's baggage. <laughs> you've got some Valentine's baggage. So the first one is... Um, um, I got married... For the first time back in 1987 on Valentine's Day. Oh, that didn't work, did it? it well, not. It, it was a really nice wedding. And <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. And You've healed. You've healed the, since yeah. then. Oh, sure. Yeah. Through no fault. We we were just mismatched. You but know? isn't there a very, there's another very interesting story, and I thought it was Valentine's related when, when I was out uh, having dinner with you and Valerie a while back. When you, didn't you go to Europe? For something during Valentine's Day, oh, there's a whole special dinner and a thing with a car. And oh yeah, can you can you be a little succinct in that story because it's pretty funny. Well, uh, yeah, Valerie is 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 big on the cheesy holidays. Yeah, Not that Valentine's Day is cheesy, but yes, it is. No. But it is kind of cheesy. <laughs> and she's like, you, we were going to Italy, and it was going to be. This was back in 2007, so it's a long, it's ancient history at this point. Right. And she said, "You have plans for Valentine's Day, right?" And oh, I was gosh. like, "Huh, yeah, right. <laughs> And I was like, "Yeah, like yeah, we'll come up with something." Mm-hmm. And uh, the truth of the matter is, I didn't have anything up my sleeve, but I thought we'd figure it out when we got to where we were going. And no, wrong answer. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it, it was just a comedy of errors because we rented a car, and you know how the streets are oh. really small in those medieval towns. They're actually alleys; they're not streets. And, yeah, and to let a car go down there is ridiculous. But apparently, you uh, you were attempting to maneuver, weren't yeah. you? Yeah, <laughs> the uh-huh. sound I can still hear oh, of the. The metal oh. scraping against one and, of these medieval buildings. And didn't they give you a Jag? Was it yes. a Jaguar? Yeah, when we landed in Italy, <laughs> they said, Oh, we have a great car we for you. We have such a car for you. Yeah. You're going to love it. Oh, we got the such a car oh. for you. And uh, yeah, I was like, Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I hadn't driven a stick in like 20 years. Oh, good Lord. And it was just, <laughs> anyway. But it ended up being that. And so that dinner, which was a wonderful dinner, I heard, yeah. uh, ended up costing, what, $3,000? Something like that. Yeah, because <laughs> of the car damage. It's like, wow, that's quite the Valentine's yeah. Day dinner. Yeah. You're the man, I'll tell you. All uh, right. Let's well, get out of here. Yes, on that note, he's cheeseologist uh, Rick Summers. <laughs> I'm uh, former meteorologist Chris Savino. Sunshine always. Stay well. Stay safe.
be good, feel good. It was great having you along. And again, our thanks to Brian McDonough. Hand me that guitar. Yeah, play us out, will you? See you next time. Bye. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, preferably five stars, no begging. Uh, we're available also on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, and at Believe Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.